Hi, my name is Jason Ellsmore and I'm the director of the QB Movement and it's really great to be joining you today whether you're in uh, Cooktown or Coolangatta or Mount Isa or anywhere in between. It's uh, great to be joining you today on Pentecost Sunday as we celebrate the birth of the church uh, nearly 2,000 years ago and as we launch today 24-7 prayer. We're encouraging all of our 220 QB churches to pray together round the clock over the next seven days. We believe that as we as we commit to pray over these next seven days, we truly could pray round the clock to see revival uh, here in Queensland. I believe we're at a really significant time in the history of the church in this nation. We've gone through a global pandemic together and we're still going through it and hopefully uh, coming out the other side of it. We have a generation growing up grappling with identity, just really uncertain about their sexual identity, about who God's uh, created them to be. And we have so many people that are actually opposed to the singularity of the gospel to the gospel truly being the only power for salvation for everybody that believes. But in the midst of all this, there's, there's also this uh, growing awareness that science hasn't solved all our problems. And there are people out there all around us in our communities searching for hope that only Jesus gives. And so we've got a couple of ways that the church could respond in this season. You know, we could kind of stick our head in the sand and just keep doing what we've always done as if nothing has changed. That's one option. Or we could shrink back because there's greater opposition to the gospel than what we've seen before, certainly in my lifetime, and just kind of hang on until uh, and just survive until Jesus comes again. Or we could water down the gospel and sort of make it more palatable for people who just, uh, you know, want there to be multiple ways to heaven. Or we could. We could seize this opportunity. We could seize this opportunity in history, in our nation, to shine a powerful light on the love and truth of Jesus, to cry out to him in prayer together and to shout his name from the rooftops, to, to share the good news of Jesus uh, in our communities, to actually be the church in action that's showing the love and the truth of Jesus in both word and deed. And I'm trusting that because you're in church today, somewhere in our state on Pentecost Sunday, that you think that last option is the best option. If you think that last option is the best option, why don't you just put your hands together right now and say, now is the time for us to shine a powerful light on the love and the truth of Jesus in our community. You know, this is a pivotal moment in church history. And I'm not saying it's as significant a time as the Acts 13 moment, you know, the moment in uh, the church in Antioch. But I, I've been reflecting on this moment. I've been reflecting on the moment in Acts chapter 13 that uh, sparked a missional movement that has uh, changed the world uh, forever. And I believe that God's 
got a reminder in these couple of verses that I want to share with you today. I believe he's got a challenge for us, uh, for all of our QB churches as we look to the future. I also believe he's got an encouragement for us uh, today. So let me just read from Acts chapter chapter 13. And just to set the context, uh, this is 18 years after the resurrection. This is 18 years after Jesus said to his uh, disciples, when you will be my witnesses when my power comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 18 years since Jesus said those words. But the gospel hasn't gone very far yet. You know, there's, there's been some moments where the Christians have been scattered through persecution and they've taken the gospel. But up until this point, 18 years later, the church hasn't actually made, you know, any uh, clear decision to actually take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to take the gospel to the Gentile world, you know, to take the gospel beyond where it's ever gone before. But that all changed in Acts chapter 13, in the local church in Antioch. It says this, it says, verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, come on, everyone just with me right now, just say fasting out loud. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Just a couple of simple verses in church history, but I think there's a great reminder in here for us. There's a reminder of the incredible power of prayer and fasting. You know, it just says here, they were worshipping, fasting, and they were praying, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them. The Holy Spirit simply said, set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul, and they obeyed what the Holy Spirit said to them. You know, we've become pretty clever in the church in the last 50 years. We've got better buildings. We've got uh, bigger programs. Uh, We've got bigger and broader, you know, communication platforms on on Facebook and other social media channels. We've got better websites. You know, we've got more sophisticated discipleship programs. We've got a whole bunch of things. We've got better kids ministries, better better youth ministries, better ways of reaching out to our community that we haven't dreamt of, you know, before until these last few decades. We've got pretty clever uh, as a church. The problem is we can sometimes get, you know, so clever that we actually leave God out of the picture, that we forget about the supernatural power of God as we get on our knees and as we pray and we fast together. But in this uh, moment in church history, they fasted, They went without food to increase their spiritual awareness, to cry out to God passionately for God to do something great. And they prayed, God spoke, and they obeyed. You know, we've got pretty clever in the church, but I'm absolutely confident that simply doing better what we already do well will not bring revival in this nation. 
What will bring revival in this nation is when the church gets on our knees and we fast and we pray and we worship the Lord and we listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit and we obey whatever he tells us to do, even if we haven't done it before. Trusting that God wants to do something powerful in this nation. Trusting that he's still at work drawing people to himself. I, uh, I remember when I went to Bible college, you know, a few years ago now, and I never really had any experience of fasting. I'd uh, done the 40-hour famine as a teenager and I'd eaten about 4,000 barley sugars, but uh, I'd never really understood about fasting. But I started reading about Wesley and some other figures in church history who spent a lot of time just praying and fasting and crying out to the Lord and seeing great revivals happen. And I remember I just had this passion to share the gospel in high schools and I was working in a state high school, sharing the gospel every day. I just wasn't seeing much fruit, wasn't seeing many young people people come to know Jesus. And there's this growing hunger in me, you know, to see God move powerfully. And as I started reading about people in history that had fasted and prayed, I was challenged, convicted to do that myself. So I went on a three-day uh, prayer and fasting retreat. And I remember I got to night two and I was staying at my parents' uh, house on the lake uh, out in the central coast of New South Wales. And I was starving hungry. I was really hungry. I'd never experienced anything like like this before. And I remember that night, night two, you know, this possum that we would feed as kids uh, all through our growing up years came running uh, along the deck. And I'm telling you, this possum was in grave danger. I was so hungry. I saw this possum just rotisserating on a barbecue, basted in oil and garlic. I was hungry. I was ready to eat anything. My, my prayer time went like this, God, I want steak. God, I want baked potato. God, I want coleslaw. God, I want cheesecake. God, I'm hungry. I would happily eat an old dry jam sandwich. God, I am so hungry. But God, I want you more. I'm hungry for you more. And it was one of those moments over those three days where God really broke through in my heart. And it's not that God was looking down from heaven going, oh, look, isn't Jason a good boy? He's going hungry. I'll give him what he wants. That's not what happened. You know, in those moments of prayer and just crying out to God, God changed something in me. For the first time in my life, I actually began to believe that the gospel truly was the power for salvation for anyone who believes. And every time I shared the gospel, God was powerfully at work by his spirit, drawing people to himself as he lifted up Jesus. There was just faith in my heart for it. Now I began to believe it and I began to preach like it and I began to see more and more people come to know Jesus. I've seen throughout my life the power of intentional prayer and fasting of saying, God, I want you more than anything. I want to ask you today, what do you want more than cheesecake? You know, what... what what gospel breakthrough do you want more than cheesecake? Now, what is the gospel breakthrough you want to see happen in your family, in your church, in your community? This is a reminder from Acts chapter 13. If we want to see revival come in our family, in our community, in our nation, it's a reminder of the power 
when the church prays and fasts together. That's why over these next seven days, we're calling all churches from around our QB family to actually pray together around the clock. You might want to fast for a day. You might want to just go without food for a time to say, God, I want to see you move. I want to see a breakthrough. But we're encouraging churches to join in, you know, where you can to actually pray for a powerful gospel breakthrough. We've uh, prepared devotions for every day that you can download. Uh, We've got a prayer guide around the clock, 24-7, for you to pray personally for revival, to pray for revival in uh, your community and to pray for national revival. You can download it all from that link uh, on the screen and really want to encourage you. What if right around our state, our whole QB family, every one of us found one hour a day to pray for these next seven days. Every church just picked one day and we committed to pray around the clock, just coordinated our people to pray around the clock for one day over these next seven days. And what if we all gathered in our regions to pray together just one night this week, just one night praying together with all the churches in our region. I believe we'll see God break through. I believe we'll see God do something great. Really want to encourage you. There's a reminder in this passage to fast and to pray. There's great power for gospel breakthrough. Secondly, it says, uh, this set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. This is a challenge for us. I believe God's calling us to, to raise up and to set apart leaders with the character of Christ to fulfill the call of Christ. You know, before every great move of God, he sets apart leaders to serve and to shepherd his people. If we go to Joshua chapter 1, they're at Jordan. They've, uh, they've got to cross over the Jordan, Jordan River and uh, God, you know, says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I will do great things, amazing things in your midst. And so they're literally going to wash their clothes and they, they get prepared, they get set themselves apart, you know, for this great move of God. And it was a great move of God. A million people, you know, cross over, you know, onto dry land. Fast forward a couple of chapters, they get to Jericho, their first big, you know, opposition in the promised land. And God says, you know, before you go and take on Jericho, I want to set you apart, go and circumcise, you know, every male, be set apart, be holy, be distinct, be different from the people around you. And they saw a great move of God as God brought a victory that uh, only he uh, could have brought. If we fast forward into the New Testament, we get to Acts chapter 2, Jesus says, you know, you're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But don't go anywhere, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. And God pours out his spirit. He he pours out his Holy Spirit that makes them holy and empowers them to to, to witness for him. Fast forward in Acts chapter 6 and the church is growing. It's too big for the apostles to look after themselves. And so they set apart some leaders for for, uh, to look after the widows and the care for the poor so that the apostles can focus on, on, on teaching. And so they say, set apart for us uh, people that are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. They lay hands on them and the church in Jerusalem continues to grow. And then fast forward here to Acts chapter 13. And God says very, very clearly there's a new move coming. 
It's a great move of my spirit. It's going to take the gospel to the Gentile world, the people who have never, ever heard it before. Set apart for me. Set apart. Every great move of God. God's raised up leaders and he's set them apart to be holy, to be distinct, to be different, to have the character of Christ, to, to lead great moves of God. It's one of the reasons I'm really excited about Project 11. I know many churches listening today are part of Project 11. We've got 213 leaders from 56 churches that are uh, committed to do a leadership development journey over these 12 months. And on September 1 to September 3, we're going to be gathering at QCCC Mapleton and we're going to be praying and we're going to be believing for a moment like this at Antioch where the Holy Spirit empowers leaders, young emerging leaders to go out and to make a gospel difference in the world. Please be praying over those few days, believing that God is going to raise up a next generation or take the gospel uh, into this state and all over the world. But I want to encourage us, we've all got to be part of this. Every church, how are we raising up this leaders, setting them apart? One of the things I'm really excited about Project 11 is that it's character-based leadership. I believe this is really important. It's always been important, but I think we're seeing it's more important than ever that, that God's looking for leaders with uh, the right character, more important than competence, more important than charisma, but character, leaders of character, with the character of Christ who will fulfil the law of Christ. I want to encourage you. Be praying. Be praying that uh, God will raise up leaders. Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus looks out at the harvest field and he says, uh, the fields are white for harvest. You know, uh, we need more workers to go out into the harvest field. And he says to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more workers into the harvest field. So as we pray over these next seven days, I want to encourage you to be praying that God will be raising up workers within your church that will get sent out into the harvest field. We're all sent somewhere to reach someone with the gospel. Let's be praying uh, for a mighty harvest. There's a reminder here, the power of prayer and fasting. And there's a challenge. God's calling us to raise up and to set apart leaders with the character of Christ that will fulfil the call of Christ. And Barnabas and Saul certainly did that. They took the gospel to places that had never heard it before. And that's my final encouragement. It says, after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They sent them off. And as I said, we're all sent somewhere to reach someone with the gospel. And this is my encouragement today. Evangelism in our culture is hard work. But the gospel is still the only hope for this dying world. You know, when the church fasted and prayed in Antioch, the gospel had not gone uh, beyond the east coast of the Mediterranean. Paul's not begun his missionary journeys or written any of his letters, which resulted uh, from those churches being planted. But as the local church fasted and prayed, they set apart Barnabas and Saul to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This moment in history, this moment of prayer and fasting sparked a missional movement that actually of gospel sharing and church planting that saw Christianity become the dominant religion in the Roman Empire within the next 250 years. 
from this simple moment. Today, billions, probably two billion followers of Jesus Christ around the world, churches in every nation. God's still sending out people. He's not finished. His kingdom work is continuing. His, his gospel proclamation still got many people in, in our nation, in our state of Queensland to reach. You know, the course of history was changed as one local church fasted and prayed. It's happened before. It can happen again. Now our nation needs more churches, more churches that will share the gospel with more people because there's too many young people living without hope, don't know their identity. There's too many lonely people dying of loneliness. There's, there's too many people of all ages heading to a Christless eternity. Evangelism is hard, but the gospel is still the only hope for salvation in this dying world. You know, we've had a focus on emerging leadership as a movement uh, this year, and I'm no longer an emerging leader. I've emerged. You can see my grey hair. And, uh, you know, I've been leading the local church for some time now. But once upon a time, I was an emerging leader. I just want to share an encouraging story, a story that's really encouraged me. You know, when I was 19, I, uh, when I first really decided to follow Jesus, I started helping uh, in a church in the western suburbs of Sydney. Just uh, I was helping run a drop-in centre for young people and just uh, helping to serve food and to share the gospel and just to love a bunch of uh, very broken and hurting people. And uh, fast forward 30 years and I still love evangelism. I still love sharing the gospel. But uh, 30 years later, I, I felt compelled to write a book called uh, Jesus the Bloke just to shine a light on uh, how good uh, Jesus is into our Australian culture. And I wrote it for blokes. Women weren't supposed to read it. Sorry, women. But uh, I got a letter at Christmas time. I'm not going to read it all because there's some very personal parts to it. But I hope it encourages all of you that although evangelism is hard work, it's worth the effort and the gospel is still the only hope for this dying world. Says Jason, uh, let me apologise for the paper I'm writing on. I can't afford a writing pad until next week, but I felt compelled to write to you. I'd like to thank you for opening my eyes to Jesus. I found your book, Jesus the Bloke, in the library here at a women's correctional centre and I found a great connection to it, even showing it to a few chaplains that visit here and to other prisoners. Now, remember, I wrote this book for blokes. I've got no idea how it ended up in a women's correctional centre, but uh, God works in mysterious ways. She says, I'm also from the western suburbs of Sydney, born and raised in uh, Parramatta. And uh, she had a very, I'm not going to read the details, but she had a very disturbing and troubled upbringing and she says, I went cold turkey from heroin at 15, thanks to a family GP, but mostly thanks to a rush that I found that I got from prayer. She says, I met my daughter's father at a church in Tilopia that we would attend for the pastor's wife to feed us, us teens that had no homes, and hear relatable stories about Jesus. They were cool the way that you too sound to be. Now, that's an encouraging letter right there. I don't get called cool too often anymore. But what she doesn't understand and what she has no way of knowing is that I was there as a 19-year-old. 
I was just helping out in that drop-in centre, in that church, in the western suburbs of Sydney. And that pastor who told cool, relatable stories about Jesus was my mentor. He taught me how to share the good news about Jesus. She's got no idea that I was there as a 19-year-old as I'm just beginning in ministry, just beginning to share the gospel. She says, religious history is one of my favourite subjects, but I've done so many things that would not sit favourably with Jesus or God. I'm just not good enough. And I'm not going to list all the things she said because they're very, very personal. But she says, I try to improve my life and even when successful, somewhat inevitably, I fail. Your book is giving me hope. Sorry for the tears on this page, but do you really think that Jesus would love someone like me? Do you really think there could be a purpose for my life? Will I ever have self-confidence? How could anyone truly love or value me? And if a mere human couldn't, why would God or Jesus? I see you rightly loves everyone, and although I've never taken a life, I've done some really bad things. How can I possibly be forgiven? And if I did find a way to be forgiven, what about when I screw up again? There can't be countless chances. I don't deserve them. Please pray for me. I just want to ask you that question, wherever you are, this morning around our state or tonight around our state. Could Jesus really love someone like this woman? Could Jesus really have a purpose for her? I hope wherever you are today, there is a resounding yes. I hope there's heads nodding in your church today because the answer is yes. The reality is God has been chasing down this woman for 30 years. I remember her as a 15-year-old, broken and hurting as someone shared the gospel with her. And I remember that pastor wondering whether it was all worth the effort as he did funerals for kids who overdosed and as we together visited young people in juvenile detention centres and beginning to wonder, is anything really making a difference? I want to encourage you today. Evangelism is hard. Sin is filthy. It makes a mess of people's lives and the healing that Jesus brings can take time sometimes. But I want to encourage you. It's worth the effort. Does Jesus love this woman? Does he have a hope and a purpose for her? Yes, he does. He's been chasing her down for 30 years. And if we're going to be the church that reflects the heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus to our broken and hurting communities. And we've got to keep chasing people down. We've got to keep chasing those lost sheeps, those ones that are so valuable to God, sharing the gospel, loving people, sharing his good news in word and deed. Evangelism is hard, but what other choice do we have? There's only one that has the words of eternal life. I want to encourage you today, keep sharing the gospel. Keep reaching out to a broken and hurting community because evangelism is hard, but the gospel is still the only power for salvation in this hurting world. Hey, I'm really excited about these next seven days. I'd love you to be part of 24-7 prayer right around our state. As churches, gather together and pray 
and, and believe for a great move of God. Believe for, for, for God to pour out his spirit and empower us to be, to be uh, workers, to be people, to send out into his harvest field with his good news that we might see many come to know Jesus. 24-7 prayer. Really love you to uh, go to the link on the screen right now and just choose an hour where you're going to pray on your own every day for the next seven days. There'll be a guide there where you can pray personally. You can pray for your church and churches right around our state and you can pray for our state and for our nation. Encourage you as a church to gather together whenever you can, whether it's right around the clock or just for a few time slots one day this week and just pray and believe for God to do something great right around our state and gather together in your Region with churches in your region to pray for God to do something great in your community. Hey, thanks for uh, listening today. I pray that you would see God move in powerful ways as we pray together over these next seven days. Let me pray for you right now. Father God, thank you. I, I thank you that you uh, have given us hope. You have given us purpose. You've shown us your extravagant love by the gift of your son, Jesus. I thank you for sending Jesus into this world to die in our place so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins and we could receive new life through your, the power of your resurrection. And so, God, I, I pray today that you would be filling our hearts with faith You'd be reminding us of the power of prayer and fasting. And God, you'd help us to set aside time this week, these next seven days to pray particularly for revival in our nation. God, I pray that you would be raising up in every church in our state, you'd be raising up and setting apart leaders with the character of Christ to fulfil the call of Christ. And I pray that you would be encouraging us today, putting faith in our hearts, in the power of your gospel. God, in the midst of the difficulty of evangelism in this season, God, would you give us new faith that you are breaking through, that, God, you are chasing down people and giving them new hope, giving them healing and new life through faith in Jesus Christ. God, as we pray over these next seven days, help us to hear your voice and to be obedient to your word that we might see you do something great right around Queensland. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.